0: You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast, westpacwire.com.au.
1: Welcome to the Westpac Wire podcast. We're joined today by Larry Diamond, the founder and CEO of ZipMoney, an ASX-listed ASX company and provider of digital instalment solutions and an important Westpac portfolio company. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mac. It's, it's good to be here. So I thought we could start by uh, you telling us a little about your life story. Where did you grow up? Uh, what did your parents do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where did you go to university, and what decisions
0: did you make afterwards? Wow, that's a it's a nice long intro. But uh, I was actually, funny enough, born in South Africa. Which uh, sometimes you might hear a bit of the accent come come out and, and moved here when I was young and parents really left left South Africa um, because of the apartheid and, and uh, the compulsory cons- cons- conscription over there so that was really the kind of genesis for kind of leaving and they left their family set up shop in Australia went to school here and um, you know normal normal upbringing <laughs> went to uh, went to university and really got caught onto the wind of. Technology. So I, I sort of finished high school in 1999, which was really the beginning of the the dot com boom, and really got excited about tech. Had done a lot of coding at at, at university and jumped into a technology degree, which was really really exciting. So learned a lot about database design, business logic, and that really led me into my first job, which was really a, was a business analyst at Pacific Brands when they when they listed actually, and that was awesome experience for me you know really really young left home went to melbourne and um, worked in some of the brands like bonds burley hush puppy dunlop etc and it was just a really great eye opener for me because i was very young had a pretty you know pretty uh, large remit where i could go into any of the companies sit down with any of the general managers and just ask them lots of questions about what they do and how we can improve using technology Um, so did that for a few years learned a hell of a lot and uh, and then dot-com boom came and went and uh, decided to move into investment banking so spent about seven years working at Macquarie and and Deutsche Bank which was really such an exciting place uh, particularly Macquarie Um, you know the the culture there was was unbelievable we used to joke that 5 p.m. was sort of midday (laughs) so you get to 5 p.m. go to the gym Get a bite to eat, and then you go back with with all of your colleagues and friends, and basically work till the wee hours in the morning. But the learning curve was was insane. So you know, after about one year of work, that's sort of two years in the life of Pacific Brands, uh, and then spent about seven years working in in uh, investment banking. um, Learned a lot. wasn't really enamoured by the culture in some of those later years, and. um, and then uh, really have to have to thank my former boss who made me redundant, uh, which uh, had that not happened, wouldn't have been here today. So that's, that was really kind of the journey. So when you kind of look back, a lot of technology, but also a lot of finance, which is, is quite convenient that now in the world of fintech, I've really you know, spent a lot of time in both of those areas. And when you look back, it all kind of makes sense uh, and really gave me a really good foundation to, to start Zip. So you were happily made redundant uh, by Macquarie, then uh, <laughs> Deutsche Bank uh, by Deutsche Bank Deutsche at the Bank, time. Yeah.
1: Uh, and so then, um, talk us through the next steps. How did you how did you come about the idea mm. of founding Zip? How did you find your co-founder Peter Gray? Yeah. Uh, talk us through that a little.
0: Yeah, it was quite interesting. So a f- few friends of mine who who were let go during the the great financial um, recession, as they call it, GFC. Um, they were really trying to lure me from investment banking in or to say, look, you've kind of done enough there. Why don't you start something? Now, I wasn't really, my background really wasn't a serial entrepreneur, I'm not one of these guys that set up lots and lots of businesses. You know, had a few things where, used to sell things at school, make a bit of money. But that was really, was was really it's so after I left Deutsche Bank. Um, it was really a brave new world. You know, I knew I didn't want to jump back into the world of corporate uh, and started thinking about what next. So just started brainstorming, wrote lots of different ideas down. And while doing that, also spent a lot of time just catching up with friends and people around who hadn't really seen for many years because we've been working so hard in investment banking. And it was just so refreshing to sort of take a step outside the building and Having lots and lots of conversations, talking lots and lots about the ideas, and through that process, actually ended up doing two things. One is uh, a cousin and I bought in bought a business out of receivership, t-shirt printing and embroidery business, uh, which used to do all the rugby jerseys and back to school. And we basically spent about a year restructuring that that business, and at the same time started consulting to a friend of mine who was starting in the small business lending space, um, actually Prosper, and. Uh, consulting to him, really started thinking about the world of payments and credit. And that's really where I started to get really excited about the disruption of the credit card for, for the consumer. But interestingly, uh, knew very little about either credit or or payments and you know, naively tried to start a business. And a lot of feedback from from investors were, you're very passionate, you're very excited, but you kind of don't know anything about this space. We recommend you find a partner <laughs> who deeply understands this space. And so uh, created a Fake company called up a recruiter and asked them to help find a chief of chief of risk, chief of credit. wasn't really sure what exactly the definition of this role was, and they introduced me to, to this guy called Peter Gray. So I went for a, a coffee with uh, with Pete in the city on O'Connell Street. Didn't know each other from a bar of soap, and absolutely hit it off. I must have pitched him something. He liked it. He'd been thinking about it for as well. He'd actually been in consumer credit for about twenty years, so it was the exact you know, partner I was, I was looking for, which was just absolutely fortuitous. And we, ne- we then spent the next six months just ideating and working up our, our plans. Forf- forgot about the recruiter, so probably the recruiter, a little bit of money. Having said that, none of us took a salary for the first couple of years. So <laughs> 15% of zero is still zero.
1: I've heard you mention before that you had to beg, borrow and steal in those early yeah. uh, days of Zip. What, what were some of the personal sacrifices that you needed
0: to make in order to get Zip off the ground? Yeah, so there were quite a few. I think at the time, both Pete and I had a newborn, so I had my first, and, and he had his second. And while we were working up this idea, we never had an office as well, so we used to catch up at the Commodore Hotel, which was sort of equidistant between um, where he lived and and uh, and 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 I lived. But it was very much integrating, you know, family, this startup. It was really just one. I was working at home, newborn jumping on me the whole time, and and it was uh, very very chaotic but i think we both had really good partners that kind of supported us um during during that phase and we had to have really strong conviction in what we were doing because it was very tough in the beginning you know no salaries um i was borrowing from some some, some people that i knew just to kind of pay the bills um and uh but because we both had like high high conviction we were kind of willing to do it and really you know i took a few years of, of if you kind of look really behind the scenes, there were a lot of loans that I had with a large number of people just to kind of make it work. But because we felt so strong about the idea, we were happy to take that risk. It was kind of, uh, you know, and, and also for me personally, we looked at our downside and um, the downside was actually pretty good. Can You know, maybe moving with the in-laws, right? <laughs> so it was a manageable downside for, for, for us at the time. Um, so we started out, we, we raised a seed round of about $170,000. I think we pitched about 60 investors to actually get 170,000. Way harder than raising 60 mil on the ASX. (laughs) And uh, through that process, learned a lot about ourselves and the proposition that we're actually shaping, shaping in market. And that was the equity part, which was very hard, how much more difficult the debt was. So, you know, when we started speaking to investors, they said, well, how do we know we're gonna get the money back? All right, you haven't done this before that's that's true you sort of have to trust Pete. <laughs> so if you can trust Pete then we're okay and uh, it took a long time to actually get the first person to give us that that 200 grand check. Um, but when they did you know it's it started to come through and every every Monday morning transactions would would come through on the weekend and we would call up friends, family to get 10 15 20 grand loans just just to kind of fulfill the loan book and this went on for about a few years.
1: So, you've obviously taken Zip from being an early stage company uh, to being a unicorn listed on the ASX. Um, you've got 1.3 or 1.4 million customers now, an incredible Australian success story within the fintech space. Yeah. Had no or very little leadership experience before you became the founder of Zip. What are some of the key things that you've learned on that journey? And when you look back, are there any things that you might have done differently?
0: Ah. Well, many things. Uh, lots of mistakes were definitely made along the way, and as you say, it was really the first business where I was, you know, a leader in the business. Previously, I was sort of part of the, part of the furniture. Um, but every stage is actually quite quite different, you know. So stage one was about building product, getting seed funding, and really doing everything from. All of us were doing, you know, sales, underwriting, uh, product development. So that stage, again, it's it's identifying at each stage what are the critical things that actually need to be done. And so that worked really well. Um, uh, was really was more sort of a partnership of, of really a few of us because we were all doing a lot together. Obviously, it was the the fundraising on the side. Um, so four or five of us quickly expanded to thirty. So now you've got quite a few mouths to feed and people to to rely on. Um, very cozy environment, you know, very much a, a family environment, and I think that that for us was the next phase of the growth where you started to realize, okay, now we're managing a, a team of people. We have to inspire them. We have to take them on the journey. We probably need a little bit of a strategy, not too much of a strategy, but a, li- a little bit of a strategy, um, and then moving to a hundred now and our two hundred and twenty. If you kind of look at each of those moments, not only does the company break at each of those junctures, but you know, us as leaders require a different leadership style, um, different thinking around how the company comes together, the practices, the, the, the rituals. And we've always said, if we can't go all the way, then we will hop off the bus. But if we can continue to evolve, then we're happy to stay on the bus. And so when I look back, some of the things that we haven't done well, um, hiring talent that we knew we were going to need in the future rather than just a little bit ahead, um, not holding people to account um so, you know some of some of these things that in hindsight probably made a few wrong hiring decisions as 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 well but i think along the way finding the right advice and the right sort of counsel has been really really powerful and so we've had a great leadership team and then moving on to the board over the last couple of years have you know there a lot of members on the board have had A lot of experience managing hundreds and hundreds of people and a lot of that behavioural psychology and organisational development is really helping us on the next phase.
1: As you've progressed through these various stages, do you now find yourself reflecting on the state of the company and thinking that there's a certain something in the DNA that distinguishes it from other companies that you might not have been consciously building over time, but upon reflection, it's a very critical part of what Zip is today? Is there a secret source to Zip? Mm.
0: Look, I think, you know, Pete and I um, and a lot of the founding team had very similar values and values around uh, openness, transparency. And I think what we now see at Zip is this idea of, you know, brutal, brutal honesty. So sort of speaking very openly, having very open conversations, whether good or bad or, or, or hard or, or easy, because we all kind of learn from it. We get better and we kind of fix it. So I think that that's become a huge ingredient, I think, of, of, of success. Also really just empowering people. Treating them almost as equals, this sort of servant leadership type t- type model, and if they do a good job, give them more more responsibility. And so we've seen there are twenty three year olds inside Zip that are, have had more experience than I had when I was at, at twenty three. So I think the culture that we've created, which is around um, the the openness and the empowerment and building strong evangelism, I think when you kind of look at all those things, that's really permeating. And so. Uh, this this ability to change, speak openly and adapt, which I think are critical elements for success seem to have been ingrained um, in in the company and probably are, are a testament to where we are today and a lot of passion. I think that happened from the beginning. Even people that join us today, um, very, very passionate in individuals and you need those ingredients to be successful.
1: So Westpac has invested about $50 million into Zip. I think mm-hmm. it's the largest bank fintech deal in Australian history, um, we speak a lot about, uh, about the challenges of fintechs working with banks Mm. might tip that on its head and ask you, what are the, what are the things that you've learned by partnering with a bank? What are the positive experiences that you've had?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think even though we've obviously come up to our second year anniversary, um, I think, you know, even though traction's been slower naturally with big and, you know, big and small companies com- coming together, um, I think there's been a lot to have gained through through the relationship. Um, we've obviously got Die on the board, who's provided enormous value at a at a board level, how we organise, how we think about strategy, how we execute, manage people. So it's been a huge amount that has that has come through there. Um, I think also just uh, the sounding board. You know, a lot of the experience inside the bank, in a lot of these phenomenal experience across all aspects of of the value chain. A lot of a lot of those live conversations have actually helped us back at Zip HQ, even if we haven't got you know, a joint product to market um, or, or, or something like that. Uh, the credibility factor I think has been a, a, a huge factor. You know, knowing that Westpac is a is a shareholder certainly helped, I think, in, in a lot of conversations we've had with other stakeholders um in in the ecosystem. So um you know payments providers, scheme providers and I think that has had a definitely a big a big impact. And yeah, I see huge opportunity going going ahead. Um the wheels are starting to move can feel them starting to move. Uh, so, you know, I'm pretty excited. And I think the technology is at a place where it's becoming a lot easier to have these conversations. So as that gets better and we can connect more easily, I think a lot more opportunity will kind of come out of the relationship.
1: We've obviously seen a lot of change in the financial services industry over the last few years. And Zip is a, one of the leading examples of that. As you look out over the next five years, what do you think are the big themes and the big opportunities uh, for players uh, in financial services?
0: Yeah so good uh, a good question um i think i think what we are seeing is that uh over the last couple of years um the 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 regulatory the regulatory view um has been a, has been a, a, an interesting one i think for 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 new models that are that are that are popping up there's definitely been this sort of calibration where regulatory and government is trying to understand these these new models these new innovative models and they need to go on a path and at the same time uh, these new models that that are that are popping up really need to make sure that they are geared up responsibly and compliantly for the future. So I think there's almost a coming together is what we've seen over, over, over the last few few years of where FinTech as well as Regulator are both calibrating. And I think it's important that actually both sides calibrate. Um, both need to move to actually create um, the perfect place. But I think there's a lot of opportunity ahead. Open banking I think is gonna be huge once that's fully fully uh, rolled out, um, ultimately delivering better customer outcomes. So I think the ability for um, for players to kind of harness that understand the data and drive insights, meaningful insights to not just the what, the so what, and then the now what, I think will be hugely valuable to bring information to the customer, bring action to the customer um, is going to be very delightful. And I think anyone that can kind of harness on that is going to be interesting. And I think also um, the ability to uh, offer products quickly and easily in the digital world um, through all these APIs is going to be very, very, are fascinating, but underpinning all of that, the technology is going to enable very, very interesting models in 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 market, and they're going to come from from everywhere. I think superannuation is probably the next big one for me that's really going to take uh, take charge. Um, another area for me is probably the 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 coming together of loyalty and and payments as well. I think you're going to see you know the the disruption of the loyalty and and payment um, constructs is for me another very very in- interesting place.
1: And if you were perchance recruited to be the CEO of one of the Australian banks, what are some of the, you know, what are some of the big initiatives that you think uh, the large banks need to pursue in order to avoid disruption in the future?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think it comes back to the, 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 there's two elements I think are absolutely critical. One is the technology. I think you cannot get past the technology and companies that are winning in market are companies... That can test, experiment, ship quickly, get value into the hands of customers very quickly, learn, and that feedback cycle. So I think there's a bit of just pain that a lot of these a lot of the banks are going to have to just accept. Um, invest quickly, invest heavy, and build new technology that can enable teams to move quickly and test and, and experiment. Um, so the technology is critical, and the engineering for me is absolutely paramount. Second is probably just the culture, the culture around um, an openness to change a willingness to change, a willingness to do better and understand customers and just iterate and constantly change and be okay with that, I think is absolutely critical. Be okay to change, question what you're doing, um, listen to what customers are saying, see, see the results and then actually act on them. So I think there's probably reorganizations that need to happen. There's a lot more data-driven um, specialists that they need to come to these organizations that can feed it back into product. Uh, so there's probably the the culture around delivery and having the actual technology foundation to support that. And both of them have to have to happen. It's going to take a bit of time, but I'd be making very big bets right now uh, to support the future growth.
1: Well, Maybe we'll uh, change tack a little and mix things up a bit. Yep. Uh, we might just run through a list of topics and I'll get you to, um, to give your opinion whether these things are overhyped or underhyped. Uh, so why don't we start off with Facebook's new crypto initiative, Libra overhyped or underhyped underhyped no. <laughs> and any any reason for for why i
0: i think uh if if that gets going um you've got a new digital currency it's not it's not really a uh, a cryptocurrency it's more a, a, a digital coin um could be you know us dollar uh the british sterling and it's going to be the libra coin so i think if enough people get onto that uh, which it looks like they they will over time huge disruption, reducing the costs of uh, acquiring an acceptance down to down to zero so underhyped at this stage
1: and then the implications then for Bitcoin overhyped
0: well Bitcoin for, for me is more the uh, is more the gold version um, and uh, I think it's probably right now I mean, it's, it's up fifty percent this week, so probably overhyped uh, and uh, but I think bitcoin's here to stay. Uh, what about Slack? Slack underhyped. I mean, I the, the example I use is um, if you read the book um, is it Shoe Dog, which is the Nike the the Nike history. When he started his business, he was sending letters. Right? How long would that take? Five a week, two weeks to get correspondence. Then you move to email. Slack is instant. So if you're using email, uh, I would I would equate the move from from mail to email. From email to Slack. So, why wouldn't you jump on it? Um, it's much more functional. It's real time. It does put demands on you in your personal life <laughs> outside work hours, but it's a game changer. Uh, you said you grew up in South Africa. What about South Africa? Overhyped or underhyped? South Africa. South Africa's struggling at the moment. So, uh, probably um, underhyped to the negative. Um, and then, what about Tesla and electric vehicles? Uh, electric vehicles probably underhyped. Uh, I th- still think there's probably ten to fifteen years um, before we see sort of mainstream adoption, uh, but then I think it will tip quite quickly. So on that basis, you know, over the next twenty years, underhyped. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I've been reliably informed that as a youngster you
1: roam the Bondi streets mm-hmm. uh, as a hippie, <laughs> long hair. <laughs> Any truth to to these um... accounts?
0: I can neither confirm nor deny these uh, allegations. I might have had redlocks. You're definitely a free spirit still <laughs> are a free spirit
1: um, and if you could turn your uh, if you could turn back and advise your eighteen year old self, what are some of the what are some of the thoughts and advice that you might give uh, give to yourself?
0: Probably join a startup join a startup early so, uh, I think academics is is good and useful, but there's nothing that's going to teach you more than working in a business and in the right type of business. So probably jumping into a startup rather than being conditioned to go down the path of, uh, you know, commerce, you know, often people go commerce, law, become a lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. I think you need to look look at it slightly differently. I think if you want to go down that path, great, but get into the real world, work in an environment where we're seeing now. Those skills that you can that you can develop in in startup land, I think, incredibly powerful for the future, and even those skills can help transform large organisations. So probably get into the startup world a little bit sooner, uh, and uh, probably start investing in crypto. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the questions that I always like to ask guests is uh,
1: uh, to nominate their favourite book and also the book that they are reading at the moment. Any any recommendations for me or for our listeners?
0: Yeah, so uh, the book I'm reading now is Blitzscaling by Reid Hoffman. Uh, one of our board members gave that to me. That's a really good book. Um, I think uh, given the stage that Zip is at, which is really the the, the scale up, that's been a really great read. I'm, 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 re- I'm reading that at the moment. Um, this idea about how to scale quickly, um, in the face of competition, trying to build a two-sided marketplace, you know, prioritizing speed over efficiency, and and making so that's that's actually really powerful right now. Uh, best book of all time, or a go-to. Look, I think for us, books like Good to Great have been very helpful in, in us shaping our our strategy. Uh, the hard thing about hard things, as well, which, which which you're probably familiar with, have been have been good ones for me.
1: Well, Larry, we're out of time. Uh, thanks very much for, uh, for stopping by to have a chat uh, with Westpac. Congratulations on all the success you've had with, uh, with Zip. It's a terrific Australian success story. And we look forward to con- uh, seeing your continued success.
0: Thanks so much, Mac. All the best. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au.